Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cyber People Podcast. This evening, I am joined by the our illustrious guest, Saeem Khan. Good evening. Hey, how, hey, how's it going, Will? It's going very well, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a nice little afternoon, uh, seated in a quiet area of the house, and you know, chatting to you. Uh, it's uh, you know, we're recording this on Hump Day, so. Glad that the week's gone by and just a couple of more days to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wednesday is psychologically very important for everyone, isn't it? It's like um, it gives you that sort of second wind or, or 18th wind, depending on the kind of week that you've had. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and uh, yeah, just two more days to go. So, so same. Um, I know who you are, but uh, no one, well, probably a lot of people out there listening know who you are as well. But for the two or three that don't know who you are, would you please introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I think it's the other way around. Probably one or two people know me. Hi, Mom. Uh, but, you know, besides those people, <laughs> for everybody else, uh, my name is Saim Khan. Um, I'm the uh, founder of a company called Jumpstart Security. Um, and uh, prior to starting this uh little company of mine. I've been in the cybersecurity industry for a little over 10 years, um, working predominantly as a consultant, helping clients um, implement uh, you know, security management systems, helping them get certified to ISO, um, providing strategic advice around uh, cybersecurity, you know, whether it's a cybersecurity strategy or solving a DevOps issue. So that's me. And then Somewhere along the pandemic, I realized, you know, I want to uh, start helping small businesses. And then that's what led me to start Jumpstart Security. What was it that made you uh, decide to do that? What happened? Do you remember the moment itself, that pivotal moment? I think it's been a series of moments over the last 15, 20 years where um, I've always been in a consulting role, whether it's technology consulting, management consulting, or cybersecurity consulting. And I've often, uh, you know, worked with, uh, you know, what's defined as mid-market or above, you know, working with companies that can afford to pay $1,500, $2,500 a day for consultants. Every time I would be in those engagements, you know, for every five big engagements that we would, you know, sign up and, and do, there'd be this one small business owner who'd reach out and say, hey, I need help with this. And then, you know, we'd give them a proposal with this knowledge at the back of our mind that, you know, they're probably going to say that's too expensive. And that's always stuck with me. How can I help out small businesses? And when, um, so, you know, this has happened many, many times over the years, not just in Australia, in my previous lives on different, you know, living and working in different countries. I guess in the pandemic, when, you know, you're sort of, home all the time and you kind of have the, those moments where you're thinking to yourself I thought okay now is a great time to help these small businesses uh, by coming up with a way to offer them all the stuff and help that they need but you know minus the minus the expensive price tag that will kind of push them out so that's I, I guess it was around um, you know end of last year um, I had taken a much needed mental health break and a break from everything I was, uh, uh, and it was those one of those rare moments we were allowed to travel. So I, we traveled up to Byron Bay and sitting in Byron Bay, I thought, you know what, this is something I want to do. And when I came back at the start of this year, you know, started Jumpstart Security to help specifically small and micro businesses. 
Well, I'm sure you're not the first man to have an epiphany while sitting on a beautiful, beautiful beach, and you'll probably not be the last. That's a that's a very charming story, and it's uh, it's very interesting to hear those moments. You know, those sort of key moments that that send us down one path or another. So um, today we're going to talk about three very interesting topics. We're going to talk about what is just enough security. And secondly, we're going to talk about uh, paralysis by compliance. I just had a bit of facial paralysis there for a second. Paralysis by compliance. And lastly, we're going to talk about what exactly is third-party risk and how do we tackle it. Okay. So let, yeah, let's start with that with that first one. What is just enough security, Saeem Khan? Just enough security is a deceptively complex. Actually, no, I'm, I'll quit the BS and the marketing stuff. Right. Um, look, just enough security is having enough of controls in place to make sure that your information, your people, and your systems are safe from any kind of threat. Now, I know it's such a vague statement because just enough security varies from you know from company to company, but therein lies something uh, that, that should be considered. You don't need to over-engineer something. Sometimes the best process is an air-gapped computer, having a computer that's not connected to any networks. Sometimes the, the best solution is to go to, you know, like I keep one of these with me all the time. It's a little notebook with all my notes in it, right? This is better than secure notes and, you know, embracing the digital change and what have you. So just enough security is, uh, is based on understanding what am I protecting and what's the best way to protect it and then just doing it. So, you know, saying, and, and that kind of leads into the second thing we're talking about, paralysis by compliance. Um, but before we get into that, businesses should be able to at least first understand, okay, what do I use and what do I what do I store? And who are the people that use my systems? It's not a difficult question. It's just a question that requires you to think a little bit. So a, a, a small law firm, their biggest information that they have to protect are all the matter and case files that they have. And the people that they have to protect are the lawyers that use those systems and the back office that supports those lawyers and the clients that upload that information, right? How can they protect it? If they have a centralized system, how are they adding information into that system? Is it being you know, brought in from someplace else? How are they communicating? Are they, you know, sending out email? Are they sending out emails with sensitive information, or are they forcing their staff and their clients to, you know, upload everything in a secure location? Those are the kind of questions you have to ask, and that's just enough security. You don't have to comply with NIST, or you don't have to comply with ISO 27001, or any of the standards, right? Any of those acronyms which become a bane of your existence if you get caught up in that compliance or, uh, you know, uh, uh, certification uh, uh, situation. So that's, in my opinion, what just enough security is. Okay, okay. And when you speak to small businesses and you ask them that question, the question that you've begun your explanation with, how many of them know straight away what the answer is? Almost all of them. Okay, so most people have a... They have a good idea. Um, your job in that consulting capacity is to ask them those questions which allow them to extrapolate further than they already have. We'll, right. we'll, take the, we'll take the same example of a law firm, right? Let's say you were 
the principal of the law firm and we were having the conversation and we'd gotten just to where we are right now. The next question I'd ask you is, oh, by the way, how do you accept payments? And if you came back and said, oh, yeah, we allow customers to pay by credit card. Okay, how do you, how do they pay? Do they pay online? Do you have an FPOS machine which you enter their information over the phone? Then we start getting into the detail of it, right? Um, and the reason why you need to do this uh, is, you know, just to make sure that you've got everything covered. So just enough is just enough security to cover everything that you do. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, in, in my experience, most of the time when I speak to customers or I speak to prospects or, you know, whoever I'm, 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 I'm talking to about the subject, they do have a clear idea of what it is that they need to protect. It's not like, I don't know, right? I don't want to get yeah. hacked. I mean, that's a, I think that's a bit of a misnomer. Like, uh, pe people don't get nearly as much credit as they deserve when it comes to being aware. So, uh, you know, yeah, people do have an idea of what they need to protect. I guess if they didn't, they wouldn't be talking to you. They wouldn't have initiated that conversation in the first place. It's an indication that they've given it some thought. They've identified what they see as the risks and are coming to you to say, well, look, how do we mitigate these? And, and I would imagine also that there are, there are probably certain risks that they haven't considered, like the credit card one, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example of a call uh, that I had today with someone. Um, and they have compliance requirements for PCI. Otherwise, their you know, merchant and banking partner is not going to let them use their services. That's why they, you know... Uh, what is what is PCI, Saeem? Sorry to interrupt. What is PCI no, for no. those that what does PCI mean for those that are listening who don't aren't familiar with that abbreviation acronym? So PCI I should say. PCI stands for the the payment card industry, and it's a and it's a joint effort by all of the major credit card brands, uh, Visa, Mastercard, Amex, uh, JCP, etc. Um, and uh, specifically, what I'm referring to here is called the DSS, the Digital Security Standard. So if you okay. are an organization that accepts credit card payments, you have to comply with PCI DSS you know, uh, standards. And there are different standards based on your situation. Like you could be someone that uses PayPal and uh, Shopify to power your store. In that case, you don't really have a lot of obligations because you kind of outsource that to somebody else. Or right. if you have your own e-commerce uh, website or if you have your own payment processing uh service that you use through one of the banks or whatever, then mm. you would be expected to fulfill more obligations. Um, so that's what PCI is. The question that we were asked, like, so you know when you said about identifying risks that they didn't think about, um, we were talking about how their system stores credit cards, and to a large extent they didn't because they were using a third-party system to you know, manage that entire payment process uh, um, outside of their app. But then one of the developers chimed in, well, you know, we thought about making it easy for customers to know which card they've paid with. So we actually store the last four digits of their card um, uh, and, and show it on our on our portal. And to which, you know, that actually doesn't violate any PCI obligations because there's uh, the PCI standard actually has a very specific definition of what card data means. But the risk that they hadn't considered is what if someone was able to um, you know, access this platform that we were talking about, capture that information, and actually start sending off phishing emails saying your card ending in these last four digits could be the subject of a uh, has been a subject of a you know a, a financial fraud, and you know getting someone to log into a fake bank account or something. So it could be used for a phishing attack. 
these are that that's a risk that they didn't consider. That's the value that a consultant would bring into the table, just bringing an outside perspective. But right. apart from that one particular risk, they actually had everything down pat. You know, they had they knew exactly the information they had to protect. They had all the mechanisms and controls in place to satisfy actually a level much more than what they were expected to do. So people need to be given more credit. Like people do think these things through. Have you have you noticed in recent times? I mean, one of the things I've noticed, uh, and maybe it's because I'm more involved in this field myself professionally now that I start to, um, I have a sort of different cybersecurity filter on, but it seems to me like, especially during COVID, your average Joe Smith in the street knows a lot more about cybersecurity than before because there's such a prevalence of um, incidents publicized incidents with big enterprises, Channel 9, for example, not a day goes by where there isn't some kind of story of ransomware or something like that on the news. Has this contributed to an overall uh, uplift of general awareness, Definitely. you know, from a, from a small business perspective? Definitely, it has. And what it's also done is it's also firmly uh, blurred the line between personal digital security and corporate digital security. So, you know, people are working, you and I, we're working out of our homes right now. And, you know, we're, you know, we, we have sensitive information that probably be lying around as our ki as we're telling our kids not to, you know, as, as we're feeding our kids lunch or dinner, or, you know, we, I mean, uh, half of my notebooks filled with the stuff I need to do for my kids, uh, reading eggs and uh, his online school assignments. Uh, which which I need to do it and you know and on the other side it says um, cybersecurity strategy for customer X so you know it's 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 almost like you know those two worlds have collided as a result people are generally more aware because those who are getting security awareness training from their from their employers are starting to apply those in their personal lives as well um, and this is often this is a very often used tactic in security awareness where you kind of build a buy-in by saying hey this applies to you in your personal life people are more aware uh, people are are also pragmatic now. I mean, people would think twice before checking out sensitive information in their recycle bin. Um, people are more concerned about online privacy, safeguarding their personal information, not posting a lot of stuff on social media, not using their social media logins to you know websites everywhere, keeping you know registering with a uh, uh, an account uh, compromise service like HaveIBeenPwned.com. People, people generally have improved awareness than so much to say in the last 24 months. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I've recently started internet dating, uh, and a lot of people use fake names. I guess that's also a sign of uh, increased awareness. I don't know how to comment on that. I've, I've, that, that that's an area I'm, 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 I'm completely uh, you know, unaware of, so... Um, okay. I, I wouldn't know if that's the norm. <laughs> so um, just going back to what you said about uh, payments and so forth, from a cybersecurity perspective and, and talking about just enough security and, and talking about the way in which businesses take payments and how with certain um, uh, payment facilities like Stripe, for example, that those sorts of things are outsourced. From a cybersecurity subject matter expert perspective, is it better for businesses to take to try to take as many payments as possible via like cryptocurrency as opposed to 
the more standard currencies or is it does it not really matter like is is our cryptocurrencies more secure for payments from a cybersecurity perspective not really i mean because it's a means of payment um it's still you still haven't defined how you're going to take the payment i mean if you've got a leaky wallet that you're using to record payments and that's not really secure um right also you know, how, how are you using, are you processing the payments yourself? Are you using a payment processor? Um, those, those, those things matter. So um, I think the decision to move to cryptocurrencies as a, as a form of payment comes less from a security perspective, but comes more from a convenience perspective and more from a transparency perspective because cryptocurrency payments are decentralized. You can see, you know, who's made, you know, which wallets have made payments to which wallets. So, I don't think people are necessarily more secure by offering uh, crypto-based uh, payments. It's just another means. It's like saying we now support Apple Pay, Google Pay, uh, credit right. payments, PayPal, and you know, swipe to pay, whatever you know, whatever payment uh, mechanism have you. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. Uh, that's, Got it. That's and look, I mean, thank you very much for calling me a cybersecurity domain expert. I'm not really an expert. I just happen to work in this field for a while so i know a thing or two that's all modesty is such an attractive trait that you're being very modest you're a you're a cybersecurity swiss army knife when you were explaining what you did it seemed like uh, you covered all of the areas compliance architecture strategy engineering uh it's uh it's uh, you're a very modest fellow saim khan so if you're a if you're if you're a small business uh, person listening right now um what would your advice be to that person if they're thinking, you know, I haven't really, you know, I've got cybersecurity on my uh, on my agenda. It's on my list of things to do. I don't really know where to start. What's important? What's not? What would you what advice would you give to those people listening right now who want to get started? Well, the first question, uh, my first question that I would ask is, um, are, what kind of platform do you use? Are you do you use Microsoft? Do you use Google? Do you use do, do you not use anything? Do you use a personal Gmail account? Um, because since everything is digital, it's important to know what platform you're using for collaboration and communication. That would be my first question. The second question is, do you have a website? If you do, have you know where is it hosted? How is it hosted? Um, is it secure? Um, and security doesn't mean that you have you know oodles of, of technology stacked on top of it. It's just a few things. Um, have you configured your email properly? That's even regardless of any, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you use whatever email service. Um, one of the key things right now is, you know, when you talk about ransomware, when we talk about business email compromise, it all originates from email. So what, there are some really simple things that businesses can do to at least secure that impersonation aspect of it. So, for example, by going to, by just Googling this, you know, uh, uh, email, uh, just search for email configuration issues or search for um, uh, DMARC, D-M-A-R-C, uh, record generator. These are simple controls that you can enable yourself or you can get your IT provider or, or you know, someone, who, whoever set up your website could do this for you. Set up a DMARC record, set up a SPF record, um, and set up a... Um, a DKIM record. I know these are these might sound uh, alien, but you know these are three domain-level configurations for email, which reduce greatly reduce the likelihood of someone using your email domain. So let's say if it was you know 
weatherillassociates.com.au, um, you know, it reduces the likelihood of someone using that domain to spoof and impersonate you, Will, and, you know, send an email on your behalf. At least that way you can reduce that risk, at least from an impersonation perspective. Enable SSL uh, on your website um, and, uh, you know, may try using a service like Cloudflare. It's free and you can attach it on top of your website. It gives you that base level of security. There's so many security tools out there which are available for free. And thanks to, you know, uh, everyone adopting a simple user experience in their approach, um, it's not that hard to set up. Uh, a lot of the advice that we give within within Jumpstart is also this. I mean, we're not telling people to set up data classification schemes or data governance models. We're just saying implement DMARC, DKIM, SPF, implement SSL, implement a WAF, implement um, some basic antivirus, um, register on have I been pwned. Uh, and, you know, these are simple things that I would that I would recommend to 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 any small business or any business owner or any anyone listening that you should just like this is the base level of uh, things that you should do. And by the way, all of these things take about 15 minutes to do. And OK, all of these together. OK, so you can you can you can achieve a pretty decent level of cybersecurity for your small business for free in a few hours one afternoon not even that make a That's cup pretty... of tea sit down do these things one after the other and you'll be you'll, at least at least you've, you've you've got some level of baseline um, yeah. that's these are these are all preventative controls right um, yeah. the next step is having detective and then proactive controls got it got it interesting interesting okay cool so one of the things that you mentioned earlier was uh, and i get the feeling that um you know, a lot of uh, cybersecurity, like a lot of technical topics, it's very easy to kind of go down the rabbit hole, the rabbit hole, get lost in jargon, get super techie. Um, and when you're talking to um, business people who are not technically uh, minded, shall we say, perhaps, or just not passionate about te technology in the way others are, uh, if you start talking about things like uh, frameworks for example you know nist um their eyes are going to glaze over and they're going to totally zone out and you're going to lose them right you're going to lose the essence of the business outcome that they're looking for so that leads us probably on to the next topic of par uh, paralysis i don't know why i struggle to say that Paral paralysis by compliance all right so look i i, I kind of disagree um people when we say, you know, I'm not technically minded, I'm I'm a business person, you're kind of uh, disparaging yourself. I mean, um, and, if, and, and, if, and if a consultant or, you know, someone who is technical, so to speak, can't explain it to you in the base terms, then that's not good either. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's a serious, uh, I guess, disservice to actually talk down to people using jargon. And I think that's pretty offensive in the sense that um, if as a consultant I'm not able to explain a concept to you in the simplest of terms, that means I don't understand it myself. It's kind of like the paper napkin test. If I can't draw it on a paper napkin, that means I don't know it myself. Whenever That's I a have, good test, actually. I mean, what is the point of hiring external advisory if they're only going to confuse you? That's, 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 that's my belief. Um, and secondly, uh, coming back to this, right, when, when, when we're talking about compliance, 
Compliance is not complex. It is just onerous because it is exhaustive. But if you have a clearly defined reason for why you have to go down that onerous or exhausting path, it's just a slog you have to do. It's kind of like um, nobody likes going to the gym and anyone who says they love going to the gym is lying to you, right? Um, but they, but those who <laughs> they like it afterwards. They like it afterwards when they're all full of endorphins. Exactly. But the fact is that they have the foresight to slog it. Through. They have the foresight for that endorphin release, the health benefits, etc. to slog through the, um, you know, the effort of cardio or weights or whatever to reach that goal. Yes, it's not enjoyable. Nobody enjoys lifting weights. Nobody enjoys, you know, getting ragged running, you know, 5Ks. But they do it because it gets them to a certain state where they're where they're in a beneficial position. That's the same thing with compliance. Compliance is 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 not supposed to be fun. I mean, like whoever like I mean, like people enjoy doing it. That's that's different, but like compliance is not supposed to be um, a you know, an exercise which is uh, which is supposed to be uh, paralyzing. It should be a liberating exercise, but yes, it is an onerous path to take. Um, so let's talk about ISO or NIST or you know, take a pick a standard. Doesn't really matter. Let's talk about ISO because that's such a hot topic at the moment, right? Like sure. you're so busy helping companies get to that ISO 27K certification at the moment. Every man and his dog seems to want ISO 27K certification. So let's talk about that one. I think probably that one gets the sure. most press. Well, okay. Whilst we do that, another challenge I have to solve is also get my charger. Otherwise, this laptop will die. So, okay. um, excellent. One second. Um, no worries. Let me just grab the impressive multitasking. Well, the last thing I'd want to do to you, Will, is kind of you know ghost you in the middle of this uh, recording. I can pretend that we've been hacked. Our network's <laughs> been hacked. We've been channel nined. Well, um, well, what kind of credence would it lend your guest if they managed to get hacked out of their own podcast recording? So, wow. The enemy, the enemy is at the gates. That's what we would have to conclude. You're looking for your charger. I'm, I'm polishing my glasses. All right, and now there we're we good go. to go. We're good to awesome. go. Awesome. This, this is as panic over. Yeah. Panic over, is, ladies and gentlemen. This is as real as uh, working from home. Post. I Love go. it. Yeah, and I got to change my, uh, I got to change my uh, position because this is where the PowerPoint is. You can now see other parts of the house. And I, can. I have that annoying light for you as well now. So it looks like you just had an amazing idea. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Kids' lunches still need to be fantastic. So, yeah. So fantastic. I'll actually, I'll do the. I'm sitting at the bar casually scene. Uh, there you go. Okay. Wonderful. Um, look, with ISO, it's becoming um, a path a lot of organizations are taking, predominantly because it's the is the most widely recognized in Australia, Asia. North America, North Americans do things slightly differently, as we all know. Um, but uh, <laughs> no comment. Um, but like within European uh, environments as well. So ISO twenty seven thousand one is is a good uh, starting point for compliance. And by the way, it's not. It doesn't make you um, infinitely secure. It's a. It's actually a baseline security standard. It's the bare minimum that an enterprise should be doing from a security management perspective. A lot of people explain ISO in different ways. This is how I explain it. Um, as long as you do five things, you should be compliant. You have um, your management actually 
gives a crap about security. So they ask questions about what's happening in security and they do it in a smart way. So, you know, specific, measurable, action-oriented, results-driven, yeah. whatever, uh, time-bound. Yeah. Um, you have discussions about security impact at your operational level. So all of your departmental heads or team leads talk about it. Um, you actually pick someone in the company to be an independent assessor of if you're doing your job. And uh, you've got some security controls in place. And finally, to manage all of this, you've actually maintained a paper trail. So you've got a document right. which outlines the process. And it doesn't have to be a, a, a robust or complex document. It could just be a checklist. A if napkin. You do these, yeah, it, it, it could be a napkin. I mean, um, one thing which I actually clash with a lot of other consultants and sometimes even auditors on is the policies that that, that I write for, for for my clients. I don't write long policies. I write bullet point policies. Our policy is uh, access management. Our policy is um, everyone will have a named account. The named account will be provisioned according to our user uh, provisioning and deprovisioning process. And it will be reviewed every three months to see if that person still needs that, that account for that access. And if anything changes, this list will be the first to be reviewed if we have an incident. Something to that effect, right? Right. Um, it doesn't have oodles and oodles of text about what access management is and blah, 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 and things all like that. So I digress. Coming back to you know the, the question about paralysis, uh, the reason why I think people kind of get stuck or get scared of compliance is because, oh, they think it's this big complex beast. It's not. Um, ISO, the specific example we're talking about, it says implement these 114 things. And they sound like a lot, but like, for example, of the 114, six are all around one thing, which is when you hire people, do you do a background check? Yes. Okay. So that's five out of 114 done. So they're not really that many. Um, probably at a broad stroke, they're probably about like 30, 40 things you have to do. And most organizations do it. I mean, like, would anyone hire someone without doing a background check and checking their visa entitlements? Probably not. They'd at least do, you know, v verbal or phone references on saying, hey, we're about to hire. Like, for example, um, I mean, look, you you know, the industry that you work in, you're very familiar with this process. I mean, can you think of a single client that you've served that hasn't done background checks? No. So, I mean, not at all. Congratulations, all of your clients, if they ever went down ISO, they actually comply with one of the uh, uh, 14 domains of ISO. So, yay, right? Oh, second, excellent. Low-hanging fruit. Exactly, it is low-hanging fruit. Um, and then the other things are all about context. One of the big things which people uh, forget in ISO is literally the first thing that the standard starts off with, right? So it's basically, if you read it, it's got 10, 10 sections and then a list of 114 things. Everyone skips the 10 sections because it's a lot of text and who wants to read a boring PDF or a document with lots of text? Let's just go straight to the meaty part, which is the list. But yeah. fact is, if you don't if you don't conform with, those, with the text before, that's an automatic fail. I mean, I gave an example of this to someone the other day. It's like sitting for your driver knowledge test and passing everything except the one, except the questions about school zones, you're gonna fail your DKT. So think of those, you know, the first 10 paragraphs um, as the as the uh, questions around the school zones, right? Right. Oh, by the way, of those 10 paragraphs, the first three are just introductory stuff. This is ISO, ISO is great, blah, blah, blah. Four, paragraph four onwards is where the meaty stuff begins. So in paragraph four, the first thing that, that, that the ISO standard starts with is context. What does your business do? I mean, 
um, a lot of businesses I work with are SaaS providers. So they're either in Azure or Google or um, AWS. Half of the physical security controls that ISO states you need to have don't even apply to them because they're a completely online business. Um, some of right. these, some of my clients don't even have an office. They've got a virtual address that they, you know, that they pay a, a, a serviced office company for, right? Um, they don't have a physical space. Like almost all of the physical security controls don't apply to them. Um, they outsource half of their stuff to um, a managed IT provider, or they've got you know, shared services from a recruiting company or something along those lines. So it's about context. What's the context of the organization? Then you kind of get into the you know nuts and bolts of it. Okay, so is the management team on board? Do they give a crap about security? Do the operational leaders give a crap about security? How do they manage it? What do they do? So it's not hard. It's just, I mean, tell me this. It's just um, onerous. It's just onerous, yeah. But yeah. one of the things which I am kind of perplexed as to the con this this type of conversation that we're having, yeah. when was I have yet to see? And by the way, you know, if 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 there are conversations about it, then I'm happy to be told I'm wrong. People don't have this level of conversations with people. They they they're just talking high. They're just talking about a high level of you know, oh, we'll do a strategic strategic security initiative to meet your security compliance needs. I mean, sorry, you know, what the heck does that even mean? Yeah. Just marketing puffery, blah blah. Yeah. It's just sort of a and and look, it's that's a fugazi. Pet, look, that's that's a you know pet peeve of mine. Um, can we stop selling cybersecurity like snake oil, please? It's not a complex thing. Cybersecurity, you know what? It's 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 not even cybersecurity. Like I'm, I'm actively making an effort now to actually stop talking about it as cyber or information security. It's digital risk. That's all that it is. That that that's what I do. Like you right. called me a Swiss Army knife before. It's actually the reason why I'm in that position is because I don't look at it as cybersecurity. I look at it as digital risk. It's just right. you know risk in the digital world. Um, what are the concerns? And that's what we are becoming. That's what this consulting industry is going to move towards, where we manage digital risk. And as as cool as that sounds, I mean, I can't really think of another phrase to describe it. Um, same. Don't 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 deprive us of our buzzwords, man. We need our buzzwords. Don't take those away, no, <laughs> please. But, no, but why? Like, why do we have to make everything a buzzword? Like, for example, one mm. of the one of the things you know, running a small company, I've been I've been exposed to the to the startup uh, community or the startup you know people. Man, if you think cybersecurity has got buzzwords, wait till you join the startup community. Everyone's got buzzwords because I guess people want to create a buzz and they want to create a mystique. And they want to position, I think it's just marketing, it's just positioning it in a certain way, isn't it? Because you're, you're, I mean, you know, a, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of people in the cybersecurity business, they're, they're making, it, it is a business, right? They're positioning it as a service that they're trying to sell. So I suppose if there's a certain amount of mystique about it, your average businessman, perhaps in the street, who doesn't know much about it is going to want to engage the person who appears to know a lot about it by using these kinds of words perhaps i don't know like window dressing maybe look you know to attract look, customers into the shop i, I want to challenge that because um and look i'm, I'm going to speak as plainly and as crudely as possible and if it please do we love yeah, that on the show and, and 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 if it and if it goes on a if it goes on a uh, a an explicit tangent i apologize in advance but my question is why the fuck do we have to make things mystic mysterious why can't we speak plainly 
I mean, uh, when I when I talk to customers um, or when I talk to prospects, I'm like, look, why do you want to get the certification or why do you want to improve security? And and they if they can give me an honest answer saying, hey, look, I'm a, I want to close more business. If I have an ISO certification attached to my company, I will automatically be in the top 5% of my competitors. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Let me help you do that. They don't, they don't talk about Oh, we do it because it's 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 uh, we want to be in the cutting edge niche. Nah, I want to make more money, and and getting an ISO cert is going to help me make more money. Um, my business model, when we talk about uh, the the consulting side of things, my consulting model is quite simple. You hire me to do an outcome, I will charge you a fixed fee, uh, which gives me commercial coverage to be able to achieve that outcome for you. Um, and that's basically the the fundamentals of how we work. I'm not going to give you some snake oil bullshit about I'm going to do X and Y and Z. You want to get this done, I'll help you get this done. And in exchange for my effort, because I may have to put a little bit of effort sometimes and a lot of effort sometimes, I'm going to charge you this. The Jumpstart Security Platform is the same thing. We give you these things which we know from experience are going to give you X. And this is what you get. There's there's nothing else. We're not promising you a Rolls Royce. We're not promising you a magical uplift in security. The the the, the security godmother is not going to come and magically bestow upon you, you know, flowers and lo- laurels of cybersecurity greatness. It's a simple platform. It does five things and it does those those things. And we charge you anywhere between 50 bucks to 300 bucks a month for it. That's the model. It's that simple. We don't need marketing gizmos and videos about it. We don't want to make, you know, a lot of false promises. It's literally what it says on the tin. Why can't security you- be like this? I think I think it can, and I think there is uh, a, there are a lot of people out there who do appreciate the no BS approach because it can be quite overwhelming, I suppose, if you're approaching it for the first time and you don't know where to start. So the no BS approach, I think, is 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 definitely the way to go. And I know a lot of companies out like out, out there that are looking for those sorts of people. You know, people who are just going to come in and and tell it like it is, and and drive business outcomes. You know, demystify it simplify it you know the kiss principle keep keep it simple stupid but by the way you did actually give me a great idea for a new startup company name cybersecurity godmother i think that's a great one i think that could really uh, that could really kill it right we don't we don't have much time so let's let's move on to the the last topic which is what is third party risk and how do we tackle it look third party risk is in my opinion um Look, on the average the average company now uses thirty odd SaaS platforms, and it's just about knowing, you know, what's your what's your exposure like. Uh, so, I mean, this is this that's one example. Classically, it was companies had suppliers. Suppliers were given access to systems, and suppliers themselves were not diligent in that access. I mean, I feel bad. I think I think uh, I think a reindeer is slaughtered every time someone mentions the target. Uh, third-party attack because I mean come on I mean targets now move to an online model in our country um, give those guys a rest but like you know it's basically due diligence on on, on your third parties uh, on your suppliers on your customers people forget customers people automatically as- assume third party is is suppliers but there's also customers um, it's just about knowing in a sense so here's the paper napkin test right third-party risk management is knowing which one of your stakeholders can potentially screw you over that's third-party risk management, and right. then doing something about it. Um, let's break that down into a little bit more detail. You typically have three to four different kinds of uh, third parties. You've got customers, 
big obvious. You've got suppliers, you've got regulators, and you've got investors. These are the you know four or five broad categories. How do you manage risk with each of them? Specifically for suppliers, um, which is all, quite often the focus of 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 you know TPRM third party risk management. Um, uh, basically, um, the way the way this works is um, you would you would have to first understand what kind of suppliers do we have, um, sort them out into suppliers that have access to your systems and data and suppliers that don't, um, suppliers that work in your systems and suppliers that don't, and then basically make sure that you've got necessary controls in place. For everyone that's working within your data and systems, treat them like you would an employee in sense of expecting them to uphold a certain level of security controls or proving that they do. When it comes to customers, one of the biggest things that you know SaaS customers or or customers that have platforms or provide systems that their customers access um, is: Have you educated your customer enough to not create an inadvertent uh, security risk within within the platform that you give them? So it's about customer education as well. It's about um, uh, you know making sure that your customers don't get breached and you then get breached by example and having protections in that place keeping regulators and contractual obligations satisfied as well. So if you're in a regulated industry, you kind of know you need to do certain things. If you have contractual obligations, you kind of at least have made a list that I've promised my customers and everyone I've signed a contract with that I will do these 10 things. How am I tracking against those? And if you have investors, the same you know courtesy extends to them. That I feel is a very you know, high level, but uh, I guess a, a comprehensive view of what third-party risk management means to me, at least, and that's how I approach it when I'm uh, dealing with uh, customers. Okay. Okay. So you you have to you have to think about you can't just think about cybersecurity in terms of protecting your own four walls. You have to think about it a lot more inclusively than that. Correct. And so, therefore, you have to. So, you, how do you do that, though? So, is that just about? Um, auditing your third parties and uh, educating them, training them? I think we're jumping the gun to, oh, let's fix this problem right away. Uh, let's take one step back, right? Um, so I would first say, you know, who are the different stakeholders that I have? So who are my suppliers? Do I have a list of them? And um, what kind of things do they supply me? So I would literally start off with a table, put their name, what do they give me? Do they have access to my systems, to my data? That's how. That's where I would start. Um, same thing with customers. Same thing with you know regulators and whatever. Make a list of everyone. From there, I then think about okay, where what do I need to do to what could go wrong with this? So let's say a supplier X is, I have given them access to my systems. I have given them access to my data. And do I really know how they vet their staff? I mean, one thing is to have a confidentiality agreement in place. That's that's fine. But, you know, do I really know, how much do I know about my supplier? How much do, do I know about the way that they do things? And then first trying to build an understanding of that. And then, I mean, look, you could probably search for um, CCA uh, vendor assessment template and you could get things you can send off to your suppliers. But why are you doing that? I mean, they'll fill it out, send it back to you. But then what you've done is you've made someone spend two hours filling out a painful Excel file, and now you need to spend five hours reading the same filled out Excel file and make sense of it. So yeah. let's, let's, let's you know, kind of avoid that kind of uh, pain and you know, first go back and think about, well, what do I need to know about them? What assurance do I need that, okay, 
I'm 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 comfortable giving them access. So, you know, do do they follow the same security processes that I would? Oh, they don't. Okay, well then they need to. Otherwise, I can't work with them. Uh, with right. my customers, how can my like so? I know it's crude, but going back and answering the question, how can any of my stakeholders screw me over, and having controls in place to to prevent that likelihood from occurring? Is this the whole concept of zero trust? Zero trust is slightly different. Zero trust is a philosophy. Um, if anyone tries to sell you a zero trust solution, it's probably someone just spending a bit of more time than you have and thinking it through and saying, hey, you can achieve this through through this means. But zero trust is not the same. Zero trust is an attempt to solve part of the problem, which is um, a zero trust architecture is based on the principle of nothing is trusted. So everything has to uh, has to verify and, and prove and identify itself before it's given access every single time. There are no trusted zones. So right. where previously in networks you had uh, public network, DMZ, semi-trusted, trusted, critically trusted environment. Zero trust says that doesn't exist anymore. There's no perimeter. Every single device, every single user that uses the device, um, all of the data that these devices and users are accessing, everything has to be proven before it's given access to. That's the fundamental right. concept of zero trust. And then a lot of it, unfortunately, gets kind of bogged down. To, oh, so it's a network access thing. It's not just a network access thing. It's uh, it's it's whatever is your context. Um, so zero trust is a way to deal with it, for sure. But it's not the be-all, end-all for supplier management. I mean... Uh, supplier risk extends beyond digital access as well, right? Supplier risk and third-party risk as well. I mean, how do you think you could prevent customers from giving everyone in their company admin access to to your platform, the ones that you've give that you sell them? How can you think? How, how do you think Zero Trust is going to solve that? It's not. It's an education piece. You got to tell customers saying, "Hey, when you create accounts, don't give everyone admin privileges. Otherwise, people will, you know, run amok and start deleting and and, and modifying stuff." But uh, you give your customer, you give your, you know, users access to X X level of privileges. So, um, not zero trust is a great is is a great approach, but it's not the be all end all for solving this problem. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, look, it's. Um I, I uh, once again, I've totally failed to do a podcast, a concise podcast. Uh, I, I have been advised that I should really be trying to sort of keep these short and sweet half an hour, but there's always so much to talk about. And it's always a pleasure to discuss these, these topics with someone like you who just makes it all very simple. And you've got such a uh, candid down to earth nuts and bolts approach that demystifies it and, and really breaks it down to its bare essentials. And I think that's very, very important, I think, especially if you're running a business, whether it's a small business or a massive enterprise, you really do need to look at it this way. So um, it is getting dark. We're starting to look like a couple of expert witnesses in a, in a mafia Netflix series. So um, same kind. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I could talk to you for hours and almost have. So um, I hope you come back again sometime. And uh, I wish you a very happy rest of the lockdown. And I hopefully we'll be able to meet in person in October, just around the corner. Absolutely. Look, thanks for, thanks for having me on. Would love to look. Uh, as you can see, I'm passionate. I love to rant. So give me a soapbox. I'm happy to rant. Well, 
Well, actually, uh, I, I could listen to you rant all day, and I'm sure there are lots of people out there that want to contact you directly for some more ranting. How do people get hold of you? How do people find you? Tell me, um, tell us where, tell us where they can reach sure. you. Sure. Um, look, uh, it says, like it says on the tin, it's jumpstart.security. So jumpstart one word, security one word. It's not .com, or you could you. Uh, so jumpstart.security is the is the address of our website. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, my email address is just my first name, Saim at jumpstart.security. Um, you know we're connected. How do you spell Saim? S double A I M. So S A A I M at jumpstart.security. Um, um, you know, get in touch. You can get in touch via the website. Um, you have my contact details when you publish this. Feel free to you know tag me or or, or you know put my contact details. Happy to you know answer questions, rant, um, you know have a virtual <laughs> coffee. I mean, whatever. Awesome, we're all, awesome. We're, in this collective lockdown, we're all lonely. Everybody could use some company. Absolutely, reach out to Saeem, ladies and gentlemen. It's well worth it. Thank you very much, Saeem. You have a lovely Thanks, evening. Sir. Thanks for having Take me. Take care. Cheers, Will. Bye. You're welcome. Bye, mate.